Welcome to Talk World Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk World Radio, we are discussing Palestine, Israel, and what one is and is not allowed to say out loud. Our guest is Reverend Braylon S. Hagler, former chief pastor at the Plymouth Congregational United Church of Christ in Washington, D.C., and director of Faith Strategies. Reverend Hagler, welcome to Talk World Radio. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here with you. Great to have you on. Uh, So we've been seeing just this week uh, a reporter and a photographer, and I don't know who else uh, fired from their jobs in U.S. media outlets for what they said about Israel or Palestine. Uh, We've seen uh, uh, the Anti-Defamation League engaging in some defamation of a congresswoman. Uh, what, What is it? What's the problem? What is it that you're not allowed to say about Palestine? Well, you're not allowed to talk about Palestine because, in a sense, you know, it gets all classified as uh, anti-Semitism. And anti-Semitism becomes this buzzword that really prevents any criticism of Israel, any kind of critical political analysis, moral analysis of Israel, somehow that always gets classified as being anti-Semitic. And it's not anti-Semitic because, really, uh, uh, Israel is not synonymous with Judaism. Uh, or and Israel is not necessarily synonymous with Jews. Uh, let's just be very honest about it. Uh, the fact is, is that just like um, in the uh, in the seventies and the eighties, <clears throat> you know, the fact is, in the United States, um, you had an administration that didn't want you to criticize South Africa over the same things, right? Uh, right. Uh, you were considered a communist. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry that you had sided somehow with the ANC uh, as, a, as a communist, and ANC was classified as a communist terrorist organization. Right. So you couldn't talk about it, right? Uh, uh, the fact is, is that there was, a, there was a principle that was applied that basically tried to make anybody that criticized the apartheid regime of South Africa as an outlier, and therefore something that need, someone that needed to be scrutinized and ostracized. I have a hard time understanding the logic when someone like Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib suggests that Israel is an apartheid state and everyone screams anti-Semitism. It can only be anti-Semitism if Israel is, is a Jewish state. But if Israel is a Jewish state, then it is an apartheid state. Uh, so you, you, you've pretty well accepted the, what you're objecting to. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's a, it's a circular kind of logic, right, that, that somehow to even question uh, the, the fact that someone can claim a place as a Jewish state, uh, which means what? What does that mean? That means that those with full citizenship are Jews, and those who are not Jews do not have full citizenship. That's what it means that in being in a Jewish state. It's just like being in the U.S. When folks dare to try to call this a Christian state, that means that those who are not Christian somehow do not belong, somehow do not have status. I don't accept that. Or an Islamic state or anything like that. Anything that sort of really talks about religious nationalism is definitely going to ostracize those who are not part of the religion, not part of the framework. Uh, and uh, and that's what we sort of continue to deal with. 
what has happened is that there's been uh, a, a blending of Israel with Judaism. Uh, and, uh, and therefore, uh, it is perceived that if you question it, you're questioning the existence of Jews. Well, we're not questioning the existence of Jews. And to be very clear, many of us not even questioning the existence of Israel. The fact is what we're saying is that Israel needs to be a democratic state since the United States and Israel want to claim that they're the only democracy in the Middle East. They're the only democracy in the Middle East that practice Jim Crow politics against the majority of the population. Uh, that is not democracy. Uh, so it's a matter of, again, being very critical, critical based, criticism based on principle. Criticism based on ethics and criticism based on morality. And the fact is, is that what takes place in Israel against Palestinians is neither ethical or moral or just. Reverend Hagler, you've been to, to Palestine and met people and seen things there yourself, have you not? I have, I have. What, did, what were your experiences like uh, that people in the United States might not be aware of? Well, I think that the last time we went, I took a group of preachers uh, who wanted to go and sort of, quote unquote, see the Holy Land, black preachers. I need to emphasize that. And what happened is that they hit the ground and they immediately saw a whole discriminatory system that was operative in Israel against Palestinians. You know, the idea of checkpoints, the idea of a wall, the idea that you did not have free movement, uh, that you did not have an airport uh, in a place like Palestine, and therefore you were at the mercy of Israel, whether you can get in or out of the country. Uh, all of those types of things really began to demonstrate that the apartheid system uh, that we experienced in the United States in terms of the deprivation of being able to engage in the political process, being able to have a voice that was as equal and as effective as anyone else was denied all through the South and all through the North uh, uh, after the uh, uh, emancipation. Uh, the fact is, is that's what we saw when we went there as preachers, black preachers looked around. And I remember one of the preachers said to me, he said, this is what I saw in Texas. And another one said, this is what I saw in Louisiana. Uh, so they immediately saw and put themselves in the place of what they saw. And that's really what uh, uh, what was what folks were exposed to as they went back and sort of walked the ground, supposedly holy ground, holy ground in an unholy atmosphere. Do you think trips like that have helped change some minds? And do you think opinions have been, in general, for whatever combination of reasons, have been changing uh, at all in recent years in the United States, I mean? Well, David, the whole thing in terms of the fear that people are operating on, immediately moving to criticize people and to remove them from positions, is because they have began to lose the control over the narrative. People see it for what it is, and therefore there is this reaction uh, to uh, voices that continue to uh, speak the truth. Just like, you know, there was a push to make to try to see uh, if they could keep off of the front uh, of the headlines the fact that Israel was an apartheid state. Uh, you know, there was a struggle over that for years to keep uh, um, the declaration of it being an apartheid state out of the headlines and out of any reports. 
Um, but the fact is they're losing the narrative. Uh, they're losing that unholy narrative that basically says that what is going on in Israel is good and what everybody else is doing to Israel is bad. Uh, and so therefore, you know, the fact is, is that you can do anything to Palestinians, supposedly, and no one's supposed to criticize it. And ask the question, because I think this is what really got raised. How can you be a person that calls yourself progressive and actually lift up and hold up and justify the exclusion of others from civil society, from political society, and, 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 and render people to third and fourth class citizenship, if any citizenship at all? Treat people as, as chattel, treat people as something to be exploited, abused, pushed around and removed. And somehow, if you call yourself progressive, you're going to turn a blind eye to that? Well, you're not a progressive then. Because being a progressive means that you've got to push towards liberation wherever people are oppressed, wherever people are captive, wherever people are diminished. That's where we push towards liberation. You know, as a Christian preacher, I would say this. I've pushed towards LGBTQIA rights. I've pushed towards same-gender marriage. I've pushed towards the welcoming of immigrants into this, into this country. I've pushed towards the liberation of Palestinians in Israel and, and call for the sovereign creation of a nation for Palestinians. We have to be about that. We can't sort of limit ourselves in talking about this group and not talking about that group. Because if justice is valid here, justice has to be valid over here. And if, not, and if we lack in that, then we're not progressive. If we lack in that, we're folks that are practicing really what I call a, 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 a limited system of ethics. I, I think a lot of people uh, inevitably because of video footage and, and discussions uh, are learning in recent years that Israel is abusive and an apartheid state and a militarized police state. But I think very few people have any idea that it engaged in mass murderous ethnic cleansing in the creation of Israel in 1948. Uh, and I, I, am I right? And would it help for people to know that history? Right. I mean, one of the things that people hold on to is this idea of a biblical narrative that has gotten taught and reinforced. And that biblical narrative says that, that God promised to the Israelites the land, uh, to Abraham. Well, Abraham also includes includes uh, Muslims as well, I need to point out. But, you know, sometimes we mostly we forget about that. Uh, Christian, Christians too, maybe? That's right. But, but, but when you think about it, the fact is, is that we hold on to this biblical narrative that was written by someone that was engaged in trying to justify the actions of a nation or the emergence of a tribe as a nation. Uh, and therefore, it's very nationalistic, it's very self-centered, and it's very opinionated. But that's not the only narrative that exists. And that's not the only narrative that should be heard, but evangelicals use it because it fits in with a idea of colonialism, an idea of exploitation of land and nation and resources. Uh, and therefore, they can justify a, 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 a European state in the Middle East. Yeah. Now, I'm in trouble for that. 
I know some folk gonna get in trouble for that, but you're really talking about when you look at the demographics of Israel, you're talking about a European and an American state in the middle of in the Middle East. Uh, yeah. uh, right to operate as a disruptor to any kind of coalition, any kind of unity uh, that exists in the Middle East. So it's really part of a whole political scenario. Now, what happens when the evangelicals, they push this thing forward? They said, well, we must repatriate Jews to Israel. That's what the evangelical, the white evangelicals say, right? And they yeah. say, for Christ to come again, we have to have Jews have to have a homeland, and we got to return Jews to that homeland, and then Jesus will come again, and Jesus will convert all those Jews to Christianity, and the ones who don't convert, they will go to hell. That's kind yeah. of preferred theology, right? But it fits in with the Zionist agenda, uh, because the fact is the Zionists don't believe that Christian theology, but they say, but it works towards our political ends, and so therefore. Will befriend these racist white evangelicals uh, uh, because what we're racist also, right? We're racist and and white as well, and we're discriminating against brown people also. So we can be in coalition together. We can have this this coalition together uh, uh, because it basically meets and justifies our ends. But there, there, Reverend Graylin Hagler, there are a lot of people looking back critically at U.S. history and European colonial history and the history of racist settler colonialism. Uh, and a lot of people uh, actually looking and studying and getting active, trying to change what Israel does and engaging in nonviolent actions, boycott divestments and sanctions. But when it comes to media outlets, you say the wrong word and you get you get fired. Why, why have the media outlets not moved an inch where it seems that, that the public really has? Well, one is keep in mind that when you talk about media outlet, you are really talking about the official narrative that gets created in this country. Even though it might be privately owned media, but it still fits in with this whole, uh, this whole blanket of, of a national and international narrative. America's good and America's allies are good and everybody else is bad. Just think about the other day when you have um, uh, people released uh, from uh, uh, prisoner exchange from, in Venezuela, right? And all the Americans coming were people who were jailed unjustly and all the Venezuelans were drug smugglers. Think about that, right? And, and the fact is, is that the media runs with that and characterizes it as that because that's a part of the narrative. Or when you talk about Israel, you talk about the Israeli military or the Is Israeli defense forces up against militants or up against terrorists. Right? So you have already biased the language in terms of what you engage. And yet, and yet, when we talk about Russia and Ukraine, the fact is we cheer the Ukrainians for being for resisting uh, Russian occupation. Uh, but so why aren't you cheering uh, Palestinians who resist occupation of their lands, the bulldozing of their homes, uh, the, the, the removal of Palestinian history, making the Palestinian flag illegal? Why don't you question and, and cheer on uh, basically the resistance to that kind of oppression? Because it's all biased. 
It's set up that puts forth a particular viewpoint. And unless we begin to question that viewpoint, uh, it is going to continue to exist. I always remind folks that folks want to talk about, oh, on state radio or state TV in Cuba or state radio or state TV in Russia, uh, this was said. Well, there's a state TV and radio in the United States of America. We just don't call it that. We, we, we call it other things, uh, uh, but it still carries forth the political line of this country. After 9-11, everybody was God blessing America, for example, yeah. right? The radio stations were singing it. The TV stations were doing it. Nobody raised the question in terms of serious journalism. No one raised the question why what happened happened. Yeah. And I criticized Russian war making numerous times on Russian television and the United States government shut it off. The Russian television didn't stop having me on. I criticized U.S. war making once on a U.S. television network. I was never heard of again. So, you know, I am not sure who's who's the greater censor of of, you know, unacceptable news here. Oh, yeah. I mean, part of it is marketplace reality. Um, you know, the market doesn't want things that are outside of what they consider the normative narrative because it costs money. And therefore, it is basically the presuppositions and the conditioning of people's political sensibilities that control the market and therefore controls the voice of the media. Yeah. Um, do you think... I've been reading various books about history of Palestine and Israel, and it seems that back in the late 80s, early 90s, what they call the first intifada, that there was a great deal accomplished with nonviolent activism, uniting people, gaining some sovereignty, and showing the world who was the oppressor and who were the oppressed. But come 2000s and the so-called second intifada and all the blowing up of, of men, women, and children in, in Israel, uh, it seems it was very counterproductive. Um, I know I'm not permitted to tell Palestinians what to do when I'm sitting here in the, in the country that's backing Israel and providing all the money and the weapons for oppressing these people. Uh, but doesn't it seem that nonviolent action uh, has done more good uh, than violence in Palestine? Well, I'm not one to criticize Palestinian actions. And, 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 the reason I, and the reason I say that is because how can we criticize those who are oppressed by systems that we cannot imagine the violence that is being applied against Palestinians? I'm down in Hebron, for example, and the 11, 10, 11-year-old 11 kid sells us a little trinket for a dollar. We know he's raising money, so we give him a dollar. Everybody give him a dollar. Nobody wants the trinkets. Everybody give him a dollar. One of these settlers come out of the synagogue, and this kid walks up to him to offer him this little bracelet trinket like he offered us, and this settler kicks this kid in the face. and the soldiers point the guns at the kid who's on the ground bleeding as if he is the one that has just uh, 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 carried out the injury and violence against somebody. That's the type of stuff that 
folks are subjected to. So when you start talking about who is carrying out violence and the reasons for violence, I think that we got to look at it and understand that, uh, in a sense, it's American dollars and it's Israel that has created the context for any kind of violence to take place. Is that violence or is that self-defense? Is that violence or is that trying to move forth uh, towards a liberation uh, in a kind of revolutionary way? And, you know, the, the issue is, is that we really can't criticize whatever takes place. When the first time happened, I'd just gotten back from Hebron. And, and, and I don't know if you remember the yeshiva students, uh, kids, I mean, rabbis were, were picked up and, and murdered, right? And that was the whole thing around uh, Israeli action. And I said to my congregation, I said, let me tell you, I said, if they got nerve to stand on the side of the road and try to hitch a ride in Hebron, nobody should be surprised what happened to them. Because they have inflicted such harm on the psychic of Palestinians, that therefore people react in response to the hatred and the violence that they are confronted with. Right. I'm, I'm just wondering what can be done to help uh, without any, you know, blaming the Palestinians for the Israelis' violence or any of this sort of nonsense. Oh, what, 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 what will work? Because this has been since 1948 uh, and there have been ups and downs, but uh, nothing, nothing has worked yet. Uh, and what can we thousands of miles away do to help the most? Well, I think that we got to be uh, participants with the boycott, divestment, and sanction movement. Uh, we got to educate with the bodies that we belong to uh, to take a position uh, in terms of boycotting, in terms of divestment and sanctions. Uh, I think that we got to uh, be willing to take some hits ourselves for speaking the truth, uh, because the the issue is that's what the intimidation is all about. Can you silence folk? because they're afraid that they might lose their job or they're afraid that somebody might call them an anti-Semite. Now, folks have called me an anti-Semite over and over again, particularly on my positions around Israel. And I have to remind folks again about the use of language. Are you telling me that I'm anti-Arabic? I'm anti-Arab since Arabic is the largest Semitic language? Or maybe you're telling me that I'm anti-Ethiopian since Amharic is the next largest Semitic language. Or are you telling me that I'm anti-Eritrean since that is the third largest Semitic language? But somehow the issue in the identification of Semitic languages of Hebrew becomes number one when in fact it is number four. Just think about how the ranking takes place and how the rhetoric takes place and how we get fed with just one narrative over every other narrative by something that comes out of Europe, right? And, 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 and that's where the whole issues around anti-Semitism actually originates in Europe. Uh, dealing with stettles and dealing with all other types of ghettos against, uh, against, against Jews in, in Europe. Uh, that's where it comes out of. But, you know, the fact is, is that when we look at all of these things, I get criticized for saying, when folks say to me, what about the Holocaust? I have to ask the question, which one? Are you talking to me about the Middle Passage or 
the extermination of native indigenous people in the Americas. Maybe you're talking to me about the Armenian massacre, genocide. Which one are we talking about? How can one atrocity against human beings be elevated to the only atrocity against human beings? And some and everything, but it's used politically. It's used politically to say you all allowed this to happen, and therefore you must give us carte blanche in a land that is a Jewish state to be able to survive since you didn't allow us to survive in Europe. Yeah. I'm talking about I'm talking about from my own experience as a black man, 400 years of a Holocaust that still continues today. So in a sense, you know, I have to look at it with those lens and I have to, and I get kind of riled up when folks want to sort of demean me. I did, a, I did an article not too long ago when Whoopi Goldberg reacted and said it wasn't, it wasn't racism. And I said that she couldn't articulate what she was really seeing and experiencing out of the American context. And she didn't articulate that very well because I pointed out that we have all been and black folks have been through that Holocaust of a middle passage, slavery that lasted, concentration camps where slaves were held in the Americas, forced rapes to produce children and therefore to produce new income for slave owners, all of that type of stuff. Somebody responded and said, well, uh, black folks didn't have a genocide because there's more of you all today than there was then. Right? Crazy kind of asinine argument, which only proved my point. Because what they did wanted to deny in their response, my Holocaust, my genocide. And I had to remind folks that Ida B. Wells, long before Holocaust was coined, talked about the Holocaust against black people in the South. Yeah. Uh, long before. That was her words. And she used yeah. that word Holocaust, right? Because she understood that blacks were being destroyed so vindictively and so ruthlessly and thoroughly. We, we've got just about two minutes left, uh, Reverend Hagler. Do you think that resistance in the United States to reckoning with the United States' own past in terms of slavery, in terms of genocide and settler colonialism, uh, is, is part of what prevents people in the United States from reckoning with the reality of, of Israel's crimes? Well, of course, that's what we're battling about when the right wing wants to talk about critical race theory that's not even being taught in the schools. But really what it is, it's an attempt to try to keep the narrative, the historical narrative of America sanitized and not talk about uh, the, the, the ugliness that has existed in terms of the United States and in terms of the United States involvement throughout the Americas, but not only throughout the Americas, throughout Persia, throughout uh, 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 the Middle East, every place, um, Africa. Uh, when you start talking about those, you got to look at it in terms of really the disruption that has been a part of the historical and political fabric of this nation. Uh, absolutely critical advice. Uh, Reverend Hagler, how can people uh, keep up with what you're doing and and get in touch with you and and learn more about your work? Well, we have a, have a website called Faith, 
faithstrategies.org, faithstrategies.org. You can find out there. Facebook, of course, uh, it's under my name, Graylin Hagler. You can find me pretty easily. Twitter, same thing, pretty easily uh, to become, uh, to uh, follow what we're doing and how we're working towards all of these things. Uh, and, uh, and one of the things that's important, and I'll say this as a final word, we got to continue to speak out. Absolutely, we do. Uh, Reverend Graylin Hagler, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk World Radio. Thank you so much. Take care, David. This is Talk World Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at Talk World Radio. Talk World Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way.